Hello, everybody. This is SBO Perspectives, and I am Jack Mitchell here along with the esteemed John Bricado. That's right, every time. So we have another exciting episode, and I know I say this every week, but this is, again, timely, pertinent, things that we feel our peers should hear, and it's for anybody in the industry, for that matter. So I'll let John kind of get into who we have on. A major portion of our job is really making sure that we're operating within the boundaries uh, of the laws and the regulations that are set forth uh, upon us, whether it be state or local. But, you know, we can't go that alone. We oftentimes refer our to our, our law attorneys and, and, yeah. and our partners there. So we thought it very pertinent to bring on Mara Harvey. She's a partner at Lamb and Bernaski LLP to really kind of walk us through what she's seeing in the in the education industry is kind of maybe some pitfalls and some and also really reflecting on the past few years and how it's really changed the landscape of education. So tune into this great conversation and here's our interview with Mara Harvey. Today on the podcast we have Mara Harvey, partner at Lamb and Bernaski LLP. Mara, welcome to the podcast. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Mara. How's Wonderful. it going? Everything's going well. That's good, right? We're almost here. We're actually June 1st. Can you believe it? I mean, when when I think of like how much we've been through, you know, schools and as well as, you know, attorneys, anybody, you know, associated with, with us and how the pandemic has changed our world, just to know that we're getting another, through another year is just definitely something. So, but we really thank you for coming on. John and I are really um, excited about this. Um, We, if you haven't known, we've pretty much touched on every single, I want to say, partner with districts, you know, whether it be like transportation, food service, and then the partners, of course, right? You know, we had uh, municipal advisors, you know, like, so you name it, I can go down the line. So having you on, I think is also critical because for us, Talking about the pandemic, there's been so many changes, so many things we've been doing during this time frame. So it's really good to uh, to have you on. So, so good, good stuff. So you know, we, we, just so our listeners know, really get a sense of what and who you are, and, and what we're going to talk about. Let me take a step back and just maybe let folks know, like why or, or maybe how, you know, you you got into your current role as a partner for Lamb and Bernarski, and, and and what do you like best about what you do? Um. I kind of ha- I, I fell into this role kind of by accident. I, I went to college and I got an accounting degree, come, come from a family of accountants and knew I wanted to go to law school. But I think in the back of my mind, I always knew, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm going to like it and I'm going to fall back and do accounting. Okay. I, I went to law school as much as one of the few that actually did enjoy it. Okay. I <laughs> ended up starting at Lamb and Bernowski 20 years ago as a summer associate. Wow, wow. Right after 9 mm-hmm. uh, So the world had, you know, turned upside down. Yep. And no one really knew what was going to happen. I was going to work for the IRS, actually, because of my background in the legal mm-hmm. area. And then due to a hiring freeze, that didn't happen. So I yeah. had interviewed mm-hmm. um, with Lama Bronowski. They had accepted me into their summer program. Nice. And Although I never thought I would stay for 20 years, nothing against them. <laughs> I never thought I'd stay on Long Island for another 20 years. Wow. Right, right. And 20 years later, I'm still here happily. I got promoted throughout the years and you know, now a partner oh, at no. the firm. Very nice. So, you know, due to my background, that's really kind of 
I That's ended so up interesting. working a lot with business officials because yeah. you were gonna I, I understand what us. credit and the debit is, and I understand yeah. what a financial statement is, and I don't have to fake it. And you know, I never knew that. I'm, you know, reading it correctly. Wow, I never knew that. I got and I not interrupt you, but I, I got to say that you were supposed to be one of us, and then you're kind of, <laughs> so now you're on the side helping us. That's that's an awesome story, Mara. I mean, I never knew. This is great. Thank yeah, you that, and you know, to have that experience and to really kind of relate that to our work personally in district, I'm sure, really pays dividends when you know you're working through different education issues. So that being said, you know, you're part of the firm's education, labor, and municipal department. What do you think is the most important aspect of what you do to provide school districts? I, I really think it's the individualized attention. It's not the one size fits all. And, you know, law firms, we always do, we do client memos because there's certain things that just, you know, let you know what changed or what's going on. But I don't think it, it shouldn't stop there. And I know for myself and other partners at Larry and Barnowski, it doesn't stop. We go further and, you know, kind of speak with the business officials or and or our business officials and the superintendents and board members know they can reach out to us with questions and it's not, the answer is not going to be, well, it's in the client memo. You know, with every case, it depends on the facts. And, you know, especially, you know, over the last year with the all of the mandates and the things coming down on a daily basis, it isn't something that we've done before. It's not a situation, we don't know exactly what it's supposed to say. And, you know, often it would, it would be a situation where the governor would say one thing and it would be written where something else would be written. It wouldn't be exactly what they said. And it would be, you know, kind of reaching out to contacts up in school boards, contacts up in the governor's office to try to get an ind indication of what is required. So, you know, I think it's really the individual's attention. Every school has a different level of risk adversity. Every mm -hmm. school district has a different feeling of how they want to do things. I say often, I could only advise. I'm not a board member. I'm not the superintendent. I'm not the That's business true. official. And I know it's frustrating when I tell a business official it's a business decision. I could tell you what I think I would do if I was in that space. And maybe with my background, that gives some of my business officials a little bit more, you know, feeling mm -hmm. of comfort because yeah. I understand where it's coming. But mm -hmm. I don't as much as I try to learn the communities of all of the clients that I work with, I'm not part of all those communities. So, sure. you know, sometimes I get skewed. So really the individualized attention, the getting to know the communities, getting to know the people, getting to know what I think the district would want. And when I say the district, you know, we represent the board, but we work with all of the administrators and board members. Excellent. Well, Mara, I got to say that that's what probably makes you so good at your job because you have that great understanding. Right. And, you know, and I think for us, too, as business officials, we know that ultimately you guys work for the board. Right. It's not like really for us at the end of the day. I mean, they are the governing body of the district. However, that's where, you know, they report to when we do an RFP, it's going it's going to them. Right. So excellent. So now, you know, as we kind of like go through, like I said, the last couple of years and what we've been, what we've been going through. What type of trends, I guess, are you currently seeing in school? Or, I mean, do you see, I guess, maybe make a two-part question. Do you see any adjustments stemming from the pandemic? And then, I guess, what do you believe will be in store for the, for the near future? So, I think districts, it's caused districts to really reevaluate a lot of things that were done. Whether it was, I know I spoke with one business official, and during the pandemic, it became extremely difficult because they had to go and, you know, go in and sign checks. And 
you know, figuring yeah. out are there other ways that we could do things mm-hmm. that are legal and that have the same levels of protections because yeah. um, you don't want to have, you know, less protections, Lucy, but Lucy. also <laughs> you know, could make it work. Well, you know, less involved with, you know, business officials, but it is because there is a financial aspect to it, is I've really seen districts looking at, you know, in the area of suspension. Prior to the pandemic, you know, you had a couple cases that would settle and you would have, the, you know, those ones that you knew. But now I feel like the districts really are looking at the overall picture at the overall student. They're more focused on the social emotional issues dealing with the students. So suspension becomes expensive for school districts because it's the home instruction, home instruction, one-on-one instruction for a long period of time is expensive, mm-hmm. difficult to find and has problems of its own. It's also usually not what's best for the child. There's very few instances that you really just need the child gone out of the school. I think schools are seeing, you know, after the shutdown and having you know, those types of learning losses and really reevaluating what they do with suspensions. And I've seen it's really the more of the norm now to kind of enter into a settlement agreement and doing things like counseling or doing things like drug testing or community service, which in turn reduces the suspension piece, which then reduces the expense to the district. Well, it sounds like it's being less punitive and more kind of uh, mentoring and supportive than maybe districts have been in the past. Yeah. And, you know, things, you know, a lot of it, I do think that is because of COVID, because it really made everyone in a district think about, well, you know, what needs to be changed. And I think we all kind of realize status quo isn't necessarily going to always work. So, With that being said, I mean, we, you know, you talked a little bit about suspensions and how the pandemic has maybe molded how districts are approaching issues. Are there any specific cases, not necessarily with suspensions, but just in general that I guess are more specific and pertinent to school business officials and more relatable that you've seen kind of come up in recent history? Yeah, so I think the Bauman-Acme bankruptcy is a really good example where yeah. many school districts were, you know, are directly involved in it because they ha- they use Bauman or Acme. Can you give but us even, a little summary of that for those that may not be aware? Yes, absolutely. So from March 2020 to June 2020, bus companies didn't provide transportation, not because they weren't able to do so, but because there was no need for it, the students were home, they weren't in school. In April, Bauman and Acme told its clients that it was going out of business and that it was no longer going to be transporting, you know, students. And they then went into bankruptcy, they went into bankruptcy. Soon after they filed a lawsuit to collect money that they indicated was owed under the contract for the 1920 school year for the time of March to June. So this became problematic for schools. Business officials had a very hard time putting up, wrapping their heads around it. I understand that because, you know, the argument I heard from pretty much across the board is how could they be responsible or how could we be responsible for making any payment when they didn't provide bus services, which is accurate. It was a few Mm -hmm. exceptions. We had some districts that, you know, kind of got a little creative, had meals being driven to places, but for the most mm-hmm. part, transportation wasn't taking place. Correct. And that's, a, you know, a valid argument of, well, why should we be responsible? So the district's contracts all are very different. However, in most of the district, if not all of them, 
there was language about increasing or decreasing services. The intent of the, that, that language has always been is transportation flux. So when you go out for bid, maybe you needed 100 buses, but if you have an influx or you have differences, you may need 101 buses or you may need 99 buses. And the, you know, the, the, the thoughts behind those provisions were to allow for that fluctuation. Bauman took the argument that it, the contract was really a yearly contract so that if they bid it and it was you know, $50 million overall, you would pay for it in you know, monthly increments. But it really, the intent was not to allow it to go down to zero. It was that you know, one or two bus fluctuation. So currently, many of the school districts have been settling because we, well, one, many of the numbers were not very high. Bauman has been settling, you know, relatively low numbers, partially, I think, because of when they went out of business. So it's hard to make an argument that they are entitled to payment after they told clients that they're going out of business. But with that being said, we're in bankruptcy court. Bankruptcy mm -hmm. court is very pro-creditor, so they want to get as much money into the pot to give out to the creditors. So yeah. many school districts that are, you know, had smaller amounts are going and settling. There still are, and I'm working with some districts that have some larger numbers. So mm -hmm. even at a 30% or a 20%, you're still talking about close to a million dollars. So it's yeah. harder. Mm -hmm. And I think what kind of stemmed out of the, that case? I mean, that case, again, hopefully will never happen again. Uh -huh. You know, it was a mixing of, you know, going into bankruptcy and then also the, you know, the not having the payment. But I think it, it made attorneys, it made business officials, it made, you know, boards think about an opportunity that we never really thought about. I mean, whoever thought that school could close for three months and we wouldn't need services? Exactly. So one of the things that we've worked with with many of our clients is to put language into some bid, you know, into bids and or contracts that take into account exactly this issue. Because look, who knows? It could happen again. We hope it doesn't. I think we're in a good place that, you know, at least with COVID, that we are, you know, kind of come up with a way to make it work. But something else could happen, whether it's now or 20 years from now. And I think we'll all be here still 20 years from now. So adding language to be very clear that if the schools close and there's no need for transportation for whatever's not, you know, not just limited to transportation services, that it says exactly what happens. But that's not just an easy fix because yes, it's an easy fix to put the language in, but the repercussions it could have is one, a company may say, you know what, I'm not going to bid for that because I need to know that if we have another pandemic or we have another shutdown that, you know, I have the ability to potentially negotiate and get some money out of it or, mm -hmm. you know, know what has to happen. The other piece is the bids may come back higher mm -hmm. because Correct. they know there's that risk that if things close down, there is no argument that they are entitled to money. Didn't the uh, didn't Governor Cuomo at the time, didn't he release an executive order instructing districts and municipalities to pay contractors and employees during the pandemic or is that kind of separate and distinct from what we're talking about it's kind of separate it was and distinct. great it was it was great and so you know the employees you know it was more with employees the contractors a little bit less you know it was with the especially with the transportation it was very 
contradictory. Everything was mm-hmm. kind of, so there was definitely some argument that, you know, you're supposed to pay them, but then they, they turned around employees. and they said, there's no state aid for it. If you do, you know, if you do pay, you know, pay them and they don't provide transportation. Yep. Remember that. So it, it makes it a little bit harder and unknown. So with this language, it would make it, you know, very known and that's, you know, mm-hmm. fine and good. But like I said, there is some repercussions. And I've had some districts that have put language in and they said, you know what? I don't want to be in a situation mm-hmm. where the unknown, I want to know if something happened again, I know what I have to pay. And, you know, mm-hmm. no offense to me. And I say this often is I don't want to pay the lawyer to find out. I rather, you know, I want to know, pay and have the services go to the school district. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, just, I remember that there was that. so much ambiguity yeah. with that executive order and the communications from the governor's office. And then it, it stemmed even further beyond transportation where remember they were threatening to withhold 20% aid and districts mm-hmm. were laying off staff prematurely. It was just yeah. a disaster. So Mara, you know, what's so, what's so great about what you said is that bringing it all full circle now being, I'm on the island and we went out to bid, right? Everything you're seeing, it's exactly how it's laid out. The prices are higher. Some are not even bidding, right? And, and it just really goes back to, to this. And you know what's funny is that, so we still have to work with these companies, right? The other ones that were still there because um, we don't have our own transportation. So, you know, that factors into settling. And also, I think for most people, I think boards had to really say, hey, well, how much are we going to continue to pay attorney fees, right? Because then it's going to add up and not make sense. So, you know, most folks, we, we've settled at this point. So thanks for, for bringing that up. I guess now this that's something that's kind of, I guess, maybe more so passing. But what do you see now currently is the most difficult part of the job and some of the more common challenges faced with school districts? So really, it's the divisiveness of many of the communities. Um, you know, it's people aren't happy with how things are going and, you know, things that the schools have no control over. And I know myself, you know, various board meetings, I've personally gotten criticized over, you know, things dealing with mass mandates. And I mean, I've, I've gotten threatened by, by members of the community that they're going to try to disbar me because I'm not giving appropriate legal (laughs) advice. And you know, it's hard because, and, and it's hard for me just to sit there and not get defensive or not respond mm-hmm. to yep. the community members because I understand they are frustrated. They mm-hmm. think that the school district isn't doing enough or they think that I'm not doing enough. And, you know, my job is I advise the board and, I, and that doesn't happen in public. So usually it's in separate meetings. It may be part of an executive session. Mm -hmm. I will advise the board about what their options are. Mm -hmm. I'll advise the board about what potential costs there are in order to mandate or fight, Mm -hmm. you know, something that came down. And I can't share my advice to the public. And the only way that the board could share my advice is with a resolution authorizing the waiver of attorney-client privilege, Mm. which isn't something that we usually recommend, and and this would not be a case. And so, you know, really the the challenge of trying to keep the board focused on the decisions that need to be made and not trying to dismiss the people who are upset and, and, and have concerns and make them realize that we're listening to them. And although we can't tell you everything that's been done or everything that's been advised, you know, really, you know, helping my clients kind of get to a point 
that you don't have a situation where people get kicked off the board, not because they did anything wrong, but just mm-hmm. because they're observed to be, you know, in one way or the, you know, and a lot of it is that the, the law part of it has been kind of a lot of in the focus of it. And, you know, my job is to advise the clients about the ups and downs, the risks, the benefits. And I think I started off as saying, I'm not a board member. I don't have the ability to make the decision. My personal feelings are irrelevant. A board hires me for my professional opinion, not my personal opinion. And some of the community doesn't seem to really appreciate that, which makes my job harder because we have to try to weave through that to get to the, you know, the result we need, which is providing the students with what's necessary. And and I think that's especially true lately. It just seems to have gotten so much more tumultuous and politicized. And, you know, you you think we're trying to provide a straightforward education for our kids, but it just kind of spirals into many different uh, rabbit holes. But, you know, that's why we have uh, individuals like yourself, Mara. So kind of wrapping up here, what is really the, the single piece you know, of advice that you can give to school business officials, whether they're new coming into a job for the first time, or they've been around for, you know, 10, 15 years. So I really, it's to know when you don't know the answer and to know when to reach out for help from your attorney, from your school business official, from another Uh, school business official, mm -hmm. a board member. I think one of the things that we're learning is people who have been a business official for 25 years and for two years are kind of in some ways the same now because things really have changed so much. Um, And you really want the person who's been doing it for a long time to really consider, is this the best way to do it? Because Mm. the world has changed. And I really, some of my best business officials are really the ones, it's not the ones that are the fastest to answer the question or the fastest to get the things. It's really the ones when they know, when they know when to reach out and say, you know what? And I know, I think I know the answer and I think I know how I want to do it but does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and to use the resources that you have. Often you have a, you know, a, business, uh, a business official or a superintendent that has a ba- business background um, or has you know, more of that background to utilize that. You may have a board member or the board may be you know, pretty sophisticated in that level is you know, using that. You know, the schools, school attorneys, you know, one thing I, many of our clients do allow, which is not a universal is they do allow the business officials to reach out to me personally so that it doesn't have to go through the superintendent through to me and then play telephone tag. And then, you know, it takes things take a lot longer to handle because, you know, that without fail, there'll be a follow-up question or there'll be, you know, some intricacy that maybe gets moved around. But I think the best piece of advice is to know when you don't know the answer or, you know, you need to get a little bit more information and not be quick to just respond to get it done quickly. Awesome. Wow. Well, Mara, this is great. I mean, we'd love to have you on. Oh, you can see my smiles going from cheek to cheek. But listen, we really appreciate this. We know how important it is for business officials, like you said. That's probably the best piece of advice to really know when to speak up, you know, know when to get that help. And it's not easy, you know. So we're glad to have partners like you. So thank you again for coming on. We yeah, really thank you, Mara. We appreciate your time. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Mara. She gave us a really, you know, multiple great insights really nice. into what she's seen over the past few years and really what's yeah. to come uh, for us down the, down the road. 
Yeah, this is good stuff. I think for listeners out there, sometimes it's good to have that introflection. And I think that's what she's providing, right? You know, I mean, it may or may not have occurred across the state, but down in these areas, I know there was a big thing because a lot of us don't have our own busing or we need more busing. So the whole contractual issue, like what, what did that mean when, you know, when a company went bankrupt? What did it mean, you know, when, when during the pandemic we weren't paying? So, and just how, you know, the attorneys play a big factor that. And then of course, what's coming up? And, you know, I mean, COVID, the, the way that you got to think about things, the way that your board interacts, you know, with, with the community and, 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 you know, obviously us administrators, we're not the ones direct with the board as the attorneys, but it really gives us a lot, I think, ways to navigate and be the best practice to, to kind of like more than survive, but to thrive with the relationship. So, yeah, um, yeah, a lot, really a lot to consider. And I think a lot of great yeah. points were made today. But, you know, Jack, you know, what's coming up pretty soon. Oh, yeah. What's it? Oh, yes. June Education 1st. June, Summit baby. is right around the corner. So those ah, of you listening it. today, which hopefully is Thursday, you know, starts what? Sunday, this coming weekend. So yes, not only is that exciting, but that your two favorite co-hosts here actually have a session uh, next week, Monday. So what we'll be doing is kind of being a little bit behind the scenes on the podcast, telling yeah. everybody kind of how we go about things, how we schedule, how we interview and really how it's really come together. And then we'll be Definitely. doing a special live broadcast. So we're, we're super, super excited about that. Stay tuned for that big time. Every year, this is the culminating event, right? Right. Each year, as we wrap up the year, as with New York, that's who we are. We're board members, but we're more than that. We're members at large as well. And we're bringing you the SPO Perspectives live in the front. That's my. Yeah. That's the way I like it, man. That's live like in the front. So stay tuned. You'll hear the live episode next week, Thursday. And yeah, we look forward to uh, really continuing another great year of this podcast. So thanks, everyone, for your support. Thank you. And we'll see you next week.